From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Can we just bow our heads collectively and pray this morning? Father, we just uh, thank you for your presence this morning. And I know, Lord, that you are here every week with us. You are with us in our homes. You're with us, and regardless of how we're tuning in or watching or whether we're in this space this morning, but there was something about today, God, that I just felt different about, Lord the coming together of the body. And so I praise you for that. I thank you for that. I look forward, to God, to more. And I just pray, God, that, that, that today would mark a beginning of something, God, that just sets this new season apart for us, regardless of what it lasts. I pray that we're encouraged this morning, God, by your presence. I pray that we're lifted up, God, that we're charged and ready, God, to face whatever life is gonna bring in this next season, Father. We just lift up Carrie Hill right now to you and her family. We lift up Debbie to you in the name of Jesus. And we just pray for your comfort to be upon them. Lord, as they mourn, in this time. God, we, we continue to think of uh, Terry and her family as well as they mourn and they grieve, Father God. Losing one is never easy, God, but we know as your word says that you are close to the brokenhearted. So comfort them in the name of Jesus, God. We lift up Carol Clark to you in Jesus' name, and we just pray for your intervention in that situation, Lord. Pray that your hand of healing will be upon her life, God, that your hand of peace would be upon um, Bill's life, Father God, and that your presence would just be with them as they navigate this next few days and weeks ahead, Father God. Guide um, in accordance with your will, God, but provide, Lord, with your blessing and your mercy. God, we just lift up the word this morning to you. I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say, God, how you want to speak this morning. In the name of Jesus, God, we love you and we bless you. And everybody said, I can hear it. Oh, my goodness, it's different. I can hear it. It's not just typed. If you're online, type it, but it's just so good. Mark chapter 7. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 7, we're going to go look at verses 1 through 23. And you're going to need to put on some seatbelts for this one. You're going to need to put, I think, we'll see, we'll see. I think you'll need some seatbelts. Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read it, and I'm doing something different here because my, my other notes decided to freeze, so I got this this morning. Starts like this. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live in according, according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Ouch. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of God's commands and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of, of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that, that what might be used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. 
Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Can you imagine? That's how Jesus talks to his disciples sometimes. Are you so dull? Are you so dull, he said to them. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In this, he declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly... All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Man. So we have two perspectives here. We have the Pharisees and the the religious teachers, and we have Jesus and his disciples. And I got to thinking that perspective is a pretty interesting thing. Because the right perspective, the right view on something can really make a relationship. right? But the, the wrong perspective or the wrong view could break one. The, the right perspective can help you overcome obstacles, but the, the wrong perspective can hold you back. And the thing about perspective is, is it's almost always the thing that remains before us never changes, but it's our view on it that shifts the outcome. Someone once said th- this, they said, the way we perceive our situation often has greater impact on our lives than the situation itself. The right perspective makes the impossible possible. So let me just bring this to, to a little bit of where we are today. Your, your perspective shifted when you gave your life to Jesus. Your, your eyes were opened to a new view on life. You, you saw things differently, and following Jesus is walking in that view, right? It's one, of, it's one of love. It's one of forgiveness. It's one of grace. It's one of opening your, your life to his commands. It's following in his commands. It's no longer living to yourself, but living to him. It's one with eternity in view, It's a perspective that that has the end in line. It's a different perspective. It's a shift in your outlook. And the scriptures teach us something that I want to land on today when we're talking about perspective. The scriptures teach us that in us there is a nature that has been poisoned and infected by sin. We're born with it. It's something that's been passed down to us since the original sin of Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, every single human being that's ever lived is born with a tendency, a bent towards doing wrong. If you don't believe me, just have kids. I have three of them. I don't have to teach my kids, and if you're a parent, you know this, I don't have to teach my kids to do wrong. That comes natural for them. They do it unconsciously. I have to teach them to do what is right. It takes, I'm watching my seven-year-old, it takes conscious physical effort for him to do right, to do good. In 1926, the Minnesota Crime Commission wrote this about babies. It said, every baby, baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, 
but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. And that's pretty hard-hitting. But then I started thinking about my little girl over there and what she does when I don't let her see the Mickey Mouse on my watch. Cheerios everywhere. Rage just against the machine. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's crazy. I know what my kids act like. I know what my kids act like when they don't get what they want when they want it. Every single one of us was born with this inclination within us towards wrongdoing. And the scriptures have a word for it. It's called sinful nature. Paul said this, he said this in Romans chapter 7, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Saying that the good I do does not come from within me. That is, he goes on to say, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I cannot carry it out. Desire does not equate to action. Desiring to do good, listen to this, does not make you good. Wanting to do good does not make you good. So here's the, what I was thinking. I think if we shift our perspective regarding our nature, we shifted our perspective, that maybe we'd start to walk in a different new level of freedom. So the Bible teaches us that we're inherently bent towards sin. We're born with it, sinful nature. Our culture tells us the opposite. Our culture tells us that we are inherently good, that within you is goodness. And more often than not, I think this is the perspective that we, that we live in, that the wrong that we do is actually the result of some external source or force, right? And so we, we point the finger elsewhere and we blame upbringing and we blame experiences and we, we blame our environment and we, we say the devil made me do it. Can I just say we give the devil too much credit? Like, let me just say this. He has power and he does work against you and you need to be mindful of that but he doesn't do nearly as much as we give him credit for stop giving him credit we blame these things and you know what those things do impact and they do have influence on our lives but our culture celebrates what comes from within they say lean into it they see give give rain into those tendencies to those choices and and we celebrate personal choices but what do we have as a result if you look at our culture what do we have we have a culture that is characterized by adulteries by sexual sin, by murder, by thieves, by jealousy, by wickedness, by lustful desires, by deceit, by blasphemy, by pride, by foolishness. This is our culture, am I right? Look around, look at the news, look at, look at media. Our culture says celebrate what's inside you. You are inherently good deep down inside. Do you ever, do you ever hear someone say this? Deep down inside they're a good person. Yes, they may have a desire to do what is good, but deep down inside, according to the scripture, we're not. We're not good. In fact, the scriptures say that there's no one good. No one good. You know, I wasn't the first person to say this. Some of you are looking at me like, man, I don't know if I believe you. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. We read it in Mark chapter 7. He says, For it come from within in your heart. Come evil thoughts, 
come greed and murder and sexual morality and envy and arrogance and folly and slander. All these evils come from within. Kind of sounds like one of those like old horror movies, you know, came from the deep. It comes from within. Within us lies that stuff. So what perspective do we lean towards? Do we lean towards the biblical perspective that says in us is a nature that is bent towards evil? Or do we lean towards a cultural perspective that says in us is goodness? Because I don't know about you, but from the perspective of what is happening in our, not in the pandemic, but just what has characterized our culture, we're leaning into this inherent goodness. We're not getting the result inherent goodness. And the part of us that doesn't want to agree with this, can I just say, is that sinful part. Because the sinful part inside of us doesn't want to admit that there's something wrong. The sinful part inside of us doesn't want to admit that there's something broken inside of us. But what if we shifted our perspective and began to recognize this for what it is? Where would that lead us? So Mark chapter 7 Jesus and his 12 disciples are eating. They're sitting down for a meal together. And while they're eating, there's this group of Pharisees, these religious teachers of the law, come down from Jerusalem, right? The religious, religious elites of the day. And they had come down from Jerusalem because they wanted to find fault in Jesus. Jerusalem is to Judaism what, what Rome is to Roman Catholicism. It's like the hub, right? And so they had heard reports about this Jesus and what Jesus was doing. He was kind of messing with what, what they had been doing. So they want to come and find fault in him. And so they find him with his disciples eating food, and they begin to question him. Now, they've questioned him before. This isn't the first time they've questioned Jesus. They've questioned him about, about Sabbath-keeping and about, about um, immoral behavior, about, about fasting, about driving out demons, and, and now it's spiritual purity. Now it's ceremonial cleanliness. So the, the, the Pharisees had made these rules and traditions in order to follow God's law. So God had given the law to Moses to guide Israel people, right? The Israelites. We had the national law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. And he had given these rules to guide these people. And what the religious elites did is they want to make sure that they followed the rules. They want to make sure that they followed the letter of the law. So they made rules about the rules. And then they made rules about those rules. And they had so many rules that they had become traditions that they had passed down. And what happened is that these traditions actually became more important than than, than God's commands themselves. And so they come to Jesus and they say, why do your disciples not follow the traditions of the, of the elders? Of those people who had lived beyond us who have wisdom and had passed it down. And one of those traditions surrounded ceremonial cleanliness about, about washing. So what would happen is the Pharisees, when they would go to the marketplace, the religious elites, they go to the marketplace when they would come home is they would wash their hands. And it wasn't because they wanted to wash COVID off, right? It wasn't because they wanted to clean themselves. It was, a, it was a ritual that they would do because what they wanted to do was wash the defilement. They wanted to wash the impurity. They wanted to wash sin off of themselves because they believed that when they came in contact with someone that wasn't following the law, like a non-law-abiding Jew or a non-Jewish person, that they would be infected by their sin, and so they go through these, these, this hand-washing ritual. And so Jesus looks to them and he says this. He says, you set aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Because what they had done is they had begun to live in this mindset of pointing the finger elsewhere. And what they had done is they started to look at external sources and forces as sinful and not what God's command was. And so he says to them, you set aside the commands of God 
in order to follow your own traditions. And he gives them this example about honoring father and mother. The scriptures say to honor your father and mother. He says, but what you do is you take money that would have been dedicated to helping them out and you, and you devote it. You say it's Corbin. You devote it to the temple and so you're, you no longer are obligated to, to fulfill the law of God. It says you, you nullify the word of God. You set aside the word of God in order to observe your own commands. And this got me thinking a little bit that sometimes we do this. Maybe not in the same way. But we set aside the commands of God and we set aside the principles of Scripture in order to do what we want, to live how we want. We don't sacrifice the same for God. We don't sacrifice as the Scriptures tell us to sacrifice because we want to do what we feel more comfortable doing. So we set aside. We don't give the same way. We don't tithe the same way. We don't give time the same way. We don't, we don't praise the same way. We don't help the poor in the same way. We don't focus on relationships in the same way that the scriptures teach. Because we want to live our, our, our way. We set aside God's command for the way we want to do things. And so what does this mean for us? And I got to looking at Jesus' response to these Pharisees. And Jesus, Jesus is pretty hard hitting with these Pharisees. He goes like straight for you hypocrites. He doesn't mince words. I feel like that's like the throat punch of, 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 of a response. Like Jesus is pretty kind. Like he was kind and he was gentle and, and he was caring and, and especially with the broken and the, you know, those that were ostracized by society. He was merciful and he was graceful. But with those religious elites who thought they were better than everyone else, he was, he was hard hitting. You know, some people need tender love. Some people need tough love. And he was just giving them some tough love. He says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Hypocrite comes from the word meaning stage actor, meaning they're, they're living behind this guise, this character of someone else. They're in one way appearing to be one thing, but they are actually another, right? They're characterized, and so they, they dress right, and they say the right things, and they do the right things, but their heart is not actually there. So he calls them out. He says, you hypocrites, you stage actors, you're saying one thing, but you're doing another thing. You know, it's possible to put on the act of Christian and not be a follower of Jesus. It's possible to do the right things, to say the right things, to give, go to church, to serve, and your heart be far from him. Belief in God and knowledge of God does not equate to friendship with God. Does not equate to relationship with God. I can believe in God. I can have knowledge about God. I can come up here every Sunday morning and my heart can be far from him. You can believe in God. You can have knowledge in God. You can be one of our most prominent servers in the church and your heart can be far from God. He's calling them out. He says, you people put on the act of worship. You praise God with your lips, but your hearts are not there. God is looking at the state of your heart. He's not looking at the quality of your service. God is looking at the state of your heart. He's not looking at the quality of your service. You may serve out of a result of a good heart that's been changed and transformed by the love of God. But he's not looking at what you do for him. He's looking at what your heart is towards him. The prophet Samuel in, in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel, 
is looking for the king that God had selected to be king over the Israelites. And so he shows up at this man's house named Jesse. And Jesse knows that the prophet's in, in town. The prophet was a big deal. It was like the man of God. This guy heard from God. This is the only one that hears from God, so we need to pay attention to this guy. So he's showing up at his house, and he gets all of his sons, except for one, and he lines them all up. He's got them in the row because he knows that they're looking for a king. He's like, here we go. It's one of my boys. They're going to be king. And so Samuel being the, the man who is closest to God, he hears from God, he hears God where he's looking at these guys, and he's like, man, these guys look kingly. They look the part. Surely the king is here because this guy's tall, he's, he's strong, you know, he's just, he looks at me and I just wanna, I just wanna serve. He looks like a king. And again, God says something to, to Samuel, which you've probably heard. Some of you probably heard, you've read it. He says, the Lord does not look at what? The things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. He's not looking at what you do for him. He's looking at your heart towards him. That's what the things that God looks at. It's about the heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at with these Pharisees. It's not about external sources and forces making you sinful. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. External things do not defile you. They do not make you sinful. They do not make you act in sin. They can influence you. They can impact you. But that is not what makes humanity evil. He says it's not what enters a person from the outside, but what comes out of a person. In other words, when you let that nature in you that is bent towards wrongdoing run wild, that makes you sinful. Not because you've been corrupted by something. You do wrong because you have wrong in your heart. You cheat because in your heart is a cheater. You lie because in your heart is a liar. You gossip because deep downside in that sinful nature is a gossiper. Man, Pastor Call, this is heavy. You know, I try not to be, but I think deep down inside I'm a jerk. <laughs> like in my, like, don't quote me on that. We do wrong because deep down inside is wrongdoing, and there's only one antidote for this brokenness, and it's letting the Spirit of God open your eyes to your own sin so that you can look towards the cross, be saved, and then be given a new nature. There's only one antidote for this, and his name is Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. Can I just say that Jesus didn't die on the cross because you were a good person? Jesus didn't die on the cross because we're all inherently good. Because if we're all inherently good, we didn't need Jesus to die on the cross. We didn't need a man to sacrifice for our sins. But a man named Jesus, Son of God, God incarnate, needed to go to the cross because there's something broken inside of us that needs fixing. And the only way it can be fixed is not by anything you do, but by only things that he can do. And that's through dying on that cross. He's the only fix. For the brokenness. No, you know, a self-help book will may be helpful in altering your behavior, but does not change your nature. Listening to a sermon, listening to speakers, seeing counselors, going to a therapist, trying really hard to be good. I'm not saying it's not helpful. That may shift your behavior, but it's not going to shift your nature. And until your nature is changed, your behavior will ultimately not change. You will revert back to what your nature is. 
And deep down inside, we have a sinful nature. And the only way to change that is through being transformed by the Spirit of God. So what if we shifted our perspective? Because we say this as followers of Jesus, as believers in Scripture. We know this, but do we live with this perspective of mind that deep down inside, I'm a sinner that needs saving? Because if we shifted our perspective, where would that lead us? Can I tell you? I think it would lead us to a new level of freedom. Because no longer do I need to hide who I am. No longer do I need to hide. Can I just say my name is Call, you call me pastor, and I'm a broken human being. And I'm, I mess up constantly. You want proof? Go have a conversation with that beautiful woman over there. I no longer do I need to hide. No longer do I need to put on a facade. No longer do I need to act apart. But I can be open. And I can allow the Spirit of God to, to change me so I'm free to become who I am in Him, who am I wired to be, who I am in His image, and who the cross says I can be. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to sing a couple, one more song here. Romans chapter 5, verse 18, you need to listen to this one. You need to tune your ears into this one. It says this, Consequently, just as one trespass, speaking about the sin of Adam and Eve, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, meaning that there is, there is something, there's justice that is due for that sin. Condemnation for all people. There's judgment needed for that sin for all people. So also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So just as we were all given a sinful nature, born towards a bent towards evil because of one sinful act of one person, and because of that in our nature, we are condemned to death through one righteous act. We are given the opportunity to be given a new nature, be changed by Christ, to live a life that is righteous. He says this in verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, that's Jesus on the cross, the many will be made righteous. So in Adam, we're sinners. But if we turn to Jesus, we're no longer sinners, but through him, we're righteous. There is a shift. There is a change that happens in our heart. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And what that means is that the sinner has died with Jesus on the cross. That's what baptism is all about. It's the public view of dying to yourself. The whole idea of denying yourself, dying to yourself, when Paul says, no longer I who live, is you're killing that nature inside of you. And I come back up and arise a saint with the resurrection of Jesus. A new nature. Meaning in the spirit, no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The old has gone, the new has come. I'm a new creation, right? That's why the scriptures use that terminology. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's put on the new self, not the old, because here's what happens. When we continue to live in the old, we act according to the old. That's why Paul talks about that wrestling of, of the spirit and the flesh that, that's in us, that, that the spirit wants what is contrary to the flesh and the flesh wants what's contrary to the spirit so that, well, we don't do what we wanna do. So the spirit in us that's changed our nature is fighting against that na natural bent towards evil, saying don't do those things. 
And when we listen to the Spirit, more often than not, we don't do those things. And the more we say yes to the Spirit, the less we say no to the flesh. And it's getting easier and easier as time goes on. So we recognize our nature, we turn it to God, and we let Him give us a new one. And can I just say, I want to say it comes down to this. It comes down to a shift in perspective that is acknowledging that you are a sinner. It's a confession of sin. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 1. He said this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You cannot receive the power to change until you acknowledge that you need to change. But once you receive the power to change, you cannot remain the same. He goes on to say this. He says, this is why Paul said this. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I cannot carry it out, but Christ in me can. The only way you can walk according to the Spirit is because Christ in you. But you cannot walk according to the Spirit, Christ in you, and still live according to the flesh. Does not work. The two work at polar opposites end of the spectrum. So which one are you gonna feed? Because the kingdom in you is the kingdom around you. The kingdom that you feed in you is the kingdom that lives around you. Can I, let me just say this. God knows your heart and he's merciful. Just pull back there. He knows your heart and he's merciful. But do you know in that what mercy is? It's getting what you don't deserve. You can't get mercy until you acknowledge that you need mercy. Right? Someone can't be merciful with me until I recognize that I need that mercy. And so I have to acknowledge that I need judgment, that there's sin within me, that I'm condemned because of my sin. And once I acknowledge that, confess that, what do I get in Jesus? I get his mercy. I get what I don't deserve. I get his grace and I get his forgiveness and I get his love. The power of the cross is in the confession of sin. So what's in your heart? Because what flows out of you comes from in you, not around you. Sally Joe didn't make you do it. Kanye West didn't make you do it. The devil didn't make you do it. Your own sinful nature made you do it. But if you're in Christ, there's another one at work. Put on the new self. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Receive the mercy. Acknowledge the fact that you need Jesus. Probably one prayer that I pray most of all is, Lord, I need you. I need you. Because I can't do any of this without you. Because I'm a sinner. And there's no good in me. The only good that flows out of me is because of two things. One, your image in me. Some people say that. People, people say, well, the scriptures say that no one is righteous, no one's good, but, but, but people do good things all the time, right? Like Canadians do really good things. We're really nice people. And I would say this. Number one, our definition, our standard of goodness is not the same as his. 
But yes, sometimes we do see good things, but all goodness flows out of a good God. And every person has been created in the image of God. We've been tainted, tarnished, right? When something's been, been, been tainted or tarnished, I can still see what the original design was supposed to be. It might be smothered in, in something that just makes it look wrong. But the, the things that, the, any goodness that flows out of me comes from there. So what's in your heart? If you're not in Jesus, the Bible says that we're sinners. If we're in Jesus, then put off that old self. Put on the new. Here's what John also said in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3. It says, no one who lives in him, that's, a, that's an action word, right? No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So if we've truly seen him, it might be an uphill battle, but no one in him, no one who lives in him continues to sin. He goes on to say this in verse nine, he says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Thank you, Jesus. So how's your heart? How's your heart? Can we just bow our heads? If you're in this room, bow your head. If you're watching online, bow your head. Let just the Spirit of God speak to you for a moment. Let Him reveal to you your own nature. How's your heart? What's flown out of you? If you're not in Jesus, you're a slave to that sin and you need Jesus. And the antidote is Jesus and the cross, it's confessing you need his mercy. If you're in Jesus, you've received him as Lord and Savior. Stop living according to the flesh, but put on the new nature, a new creation, born of God. Live in him. What's in your heart? God, would you right now just reveal our heart to ourselves. Help us to see ourselves for who we truly are. Shift our perspective. Lord, because as we shift our perspective, we begin to see ourselves for who we truly are. We begin to see you for who you truly are. You are a God of love and grace and mercy who died on the cross because you loved us and cared for us even while we're still in sin. Help us to see who we are because God, then, is then, then we can begin to walk in true freedom in you. We need you, Lord. Speak to our heart. Come on, right now, as you just bow your head and as you're online and you're tuning in, bowing your head, just allow him to work in you. God, what's in me? The team's gonna lead us in a song. We sung it earlier. We're gonna sing the chorus and we're gonna sing a part of it. Can we just allow God to work in us as we do? Go ahead, team, lead us. Just allow God. You can stand if you wanna stand. You can sit if you wanna sit.
Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.